during our um, recent table talk series, uh, we, we, I mentioned this already, but uh, we, we were discussing one of the kind of mysterious relationship that exists between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And, and they're, they're tricky things to try to reconcile, but they, they live side by side each other in God's word. Even though they seem like they're at odds with each other, they're not. They, they, they actually do coexist in the word of God. And in our passage today, we're going to kind of see this paradox played out because we have Paul who definitely believed that God was sovereign over all things. And yet he feels this strong responsibility to personally be with these Christians in this new church in Thessalonica. He believes that his presence there matters and will help them. And the fact that he can't be there is driving him crazy. He desperately wants to go and ensure that they're, they're hanging in there and that they're continuing to follow Christ. And, but no matter how hard he tries, you know, it's like it's on his to-do list. He wants to go, but he can't. He's hindered. And so he has to trust in God's sovereignty that God would find a way, that God would be faithful, that God would finish the work that he had begun in the lives of these Christians, that God would not lose any whose names were written in the book of life. And this can be easier said than done sometimes. If, if, you know, if you're like me, you want, to, you, you want to get in there and do what you can do, and you want to help, and you want to, you know, it's just it's what we're like. So we struggle with this. We have people that we love dearly, and, and we would do whatever we could, whatever it would take for, to make sure that they come to know the Lord and are saved. But there comes a point where you have to yield to the fact that there's only so much we can do, right? What we bring to the table does matter. Don't misunderstand. It matters, but it falls short, doesn't it? But the good news is that what God brings to the table does not fall short. He's not limited in what he can do, right? If you, like His network is better than ours. He doesn't have any you know, dark you know, dead spots or uh, coverage issues or anything like that. No, can, can you hear me now a moment? So he doesn't have those. He's God, right? So God can reach anyone, anywhere, anytime, by any means. And in fact, I would say we're proof of this. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Like, but aren't we kind of proof of this sitting in this room today? Think about God's ability to track you down, to save you, and to keep you saved. He's amazing with this. And if he was able to do this for you, he's able to do the same for those that you love, but that are out of your reach to save, right? We have little T-Rex arms. Like we, we want to try to, we want to try to, but God does not have this problem because Isaiah 59, one says the Lord's arm is not too short to save. So he's got like, you know, those stretchy arms that, that get wherever he wants to go. He can do that. Bottom line, he can reach anyone, anywhere, anytime by any means. And this is important for us to know, especially in light of what Paul tells us in this passage. Because not only are we limited in what we can do, but there's also an enemy who's actively doing everything he can to keep us from reaching the people we want to reach. And we, we see that in the previous section of Thessalonians chapter 2. In verses 14 through 16, Paul kind of describes what's going on there, that there are people that were trying to keep the Thessalonians from placing their faith in Jesus. And in our passage this morning, he tells us who was behind it. He said it was actually Satan, the hinderer, that was doing this. But as we will see this morning, none of this hinders God, and we can have hope that the story isn't done being written in the lives of those that we, we love and care about. We may not see them walking with God now, but that doesn't mean they won't be there at the end. So we're going to read First Thessalonians starting in chapter 2, verse 17, which says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? 
for you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So that's our passage. Verse 17, Paul refers back to when they were forced out of town in the middle of the night. You know, they were there with this church. The church was growing. Things were going good. And then they had to leave. And and he lets them know how hard that was for them. Um, He previously kind of used the comparison of how they were motherly when they were with him and how they were then fatherly when they were there with him. And now he actually talks about this feeling like this being torn away, feeling like they were orphaned from them. And that's actually what the Greek word indicates, this idea of, uh, you know, parents and and children being separated from each other. And he's saying that's what it felt to to be away from you guys. And and it's agonizing because you know what it's like if you're a, a parent and your kids are in, in distress, or if something's going on and you can't be there to help them, that's that feeling he's describing. I just had this happen yesterday. I get a call from my daughter who broke down in Winnemucca, of all places, on her way back from Arizona. Engine might have blown, and she's calling like, Dad, and I feel this thing, like I need to go do something, right? I, I want to be there. I want to be face-to-face with her, and I feel that instinct to, to protect and to provide. If you've ever had your kids threatened, like you remember, I don't know, I remember listen, when they were you know in school, somebody would be bullying or picking on them, and I'm like, what's your name? What time's recess, you know? You start thinking, start thinking wrong about stuff like this. But this thing comes up in you that you, you need to do that. And, and if your kids, if their spiritual welfare is uncertain or in jeopardy, you also know what Paul's describing here, that this angst you have to do something about it. And this explains Paul's desperation to get back to them. He knows, he, he hates not knowing how they're doing. And, and he hates not knowing how they're standing up in their faith and he, and he wants to do something. So sometimes all we can do is just what Paul did. Make sure that they know we love them. They know that we would be there with them in person if we could. But, but right now we're with them in heart. And, and that's about all we can do. And Paul definitely kind of understood this. He, he knew the value of Christian togetherness. He knew the value of being face to face. And I wish all Christians had the same conviction. I think we, we sometimes just kind of think that, that something like individual Christianity or Lone Ranger Christianity is, is somehow better. Like, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not even a thing. If you read the Bible, you realize it's like, that's not there. You won't find that. Jesus has designed his church to be interdependent, just like a human body with every part needed and relying on each other to work. It's kind of like um, all the parts of, that make up a computer, right? If you, if you just take a computer screen, a monitor, and, and just set it over there by itself... What good is it? Nothing. Some of you probably have one in your garage right now. It's just sitting there doing nothing but collecting dust. It doesn't do anything good, right? A hard drive is an amazing piece of equipment. It stores all of this incredible information. It's just got, but what good is it if it's not wired into the system? Nothing. Even something as little as a mouse, if it's not connected, it's pointless. (laughs) Sorry, you can boo that. It's okay. Just... It's just right there, though. You've got to go with it, right? It's only when all the components are joined together that something wonderful happens. And, that, and this is how the church is designed. We don't work without each other, right? Does that ring true for you? Do you feel off when you're not connected to the body, when you're not connected to other Christians, when you're not face-to-face? It's become very normal and even popular to isolate 
in, in, our, to, in our day. It's actually encouraged. And, and it's uh, for somebody like me that, that kind of wants to, you know, when they talked about quarantine and I'm like, oh, that's, that's what I've lived my whole life. You know, that's a, you know, this isn't, you know, new to me. I, I, this is a, it's a real temptation to, to do this because we can live in the comfort of our little self-contained homes um, pretty nicely. It's, you know, it's, we have everything we need there. We have every form of entertainment. I mean, I can't tell you right now they had like a deal on streaming services that were only 99 cents for a couple months. So it's like endless supply of entertainment, right? You can order your food to be driven right to your door and brought to you, a hot meal just brought to you. And you don't even have to like come in contact with the person. You can just say, hey, I'll Venmo you. You know, I'll just, just leave it on the porch. I don't even have to talk to you. I don't have to hand money to somebody. Isn't that crazy? And the same thing when the, when the delivery guy brings all your Amazon Prime stuff that, that you've ordered. You know, you get two days later after you order it. You can just wait till, he, you know, wait till he's gone and gets in his truck and then reach out and scoop it all into your house and close the door before your neighbor comes over. Not that I do that. But, but you could, theoretically, if you wanted to. I recently read about um, Mark Zuckerberg's new endeavor. So he's the Facebook guy. And he, he's trying to create this thing called Metaverse. I don't know if you've heard about this. But it's basically this idea of a computer universe. So the idea is, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a complete you know, geek when it comes to this stuff, but I'm imagining you have a pair of like, those virtual goggles on, and you conduct your life this way. So you're in your home, but you're pretending like you're in public with people who have an avatar. And so when you go to buy something, you would just you know, walk up with your little avatar and hand them money. And people are actually getting married this way. I just saw somebody that did this recently. They had all their guests you know, uh, join this virtual thing. There's nobody in the room but you. Right? Have you ever seen these guys that do this where they're shooting each other and they can run on these things and they're just running around the room? They just like they look like crazy people, but with these goggles on, it looks real apparently. And I think to myself, who would who would want to do this? Who would actually, you know, want to take part in something like this? A virtual world where nothing is real and no human human interaction is really going on. You're just pretending. But then I think about it, it's like it's kind of what we're doing. It's kind of what we're actually doing right now without realizing it. And this is one of the things I hate about live streaming. You know, on a day like today, it's kind of a blessing to have and it's bittersweet because, you know, if you're sick or if when I was in the hospital and we had this, it was great. I felt connected. Even last week I was in Lapine. I got to tune into the live stream here after the fact so that I didn't feel like I was missing something. So, but, but it's like this idea that Christianity is not meant to be lived virtually. Online church is not a thing. That makes me mad. I see people advertising that right now. Churches are saying, hey, we have online church. No, you don't. Because that doesn't exist. That's just not something that's real. I remember, um, you know, Paul Campbell got up here one time during sharing time, picking on him a little bit, but it's okay. Won't be bad. Don't be nervous. But he talked about this. You know, they were when this all started, and, and we were we were self isolating and, and trying to uh, be careful. They both had compromised health stuff, and, and so they were staying at home. And then at one point, he just kind of shared up here that they looked at each other and said, "This is, you know, it's nice that we have something, but this is not church. We are missing out by not being there." And so, even though there was some risk, they came back because they needed to be. And you know, the truth is that not only were they missing out, we were missing out by them not being here. And that's the reality. I miss people when they're not here. And I know some people can't be right now, and I get that. I'm not trying to beat people up. But it, you know, nothing compares to being face-to-face. That's really like, you know, and I get the appeal of like metaverse or churchiverse or whatever you would call it, this idea of, you know, I get it. But it's a counterfeit. And, and I would even go so far as to say it's an evil counterfeit. It's bad for us. It's bad for me. I know it is. It's not the real thing. And the real thing is awesome. You know, when I was a boy... 
we couldn't afford uh, name brand jeans, the real thing. So I had to wear possibly the worst brand of jeans ever devised by mankind, Tough Skins. I don't know if you remember Tough Skins. If you don't, congratulations. Um, <laughs> these things were virtually indestructible. I don't know what they were made out of exactly. I think they had metal fibers woven into them. You didn't wear them out. They wore you out. You just passed them down from generation to generation. Like they would almost stand up on their own. They were just so stiff. They didn't hardly bend. You couldn't, you, like you couldn't break through the knee or anything. If you had a, um, they're not mad at me. They told me they were leaving. So it's okay. Yeah, it's like, that's enough. Wald already warned me. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's the worst feel you have as a pastor. It's like, wow, man, they don't, the, the tough skins thing just didn't work, man. It's like, <laughs> anyway, these things like if you, if you fell down in them, you wouldn't break through the knee. Your knee would still get hurt because it came in contact with the inside of the fabric. So you could be bleeding out, but the pants looked great. That's how they were. You know, I, I'm sorry. It was very traumatic for me as a kid to, to wear these things. They were horrible, but the reason that you settled for them was because they were close enough to the real thing. They were denim. They didn't cost you much, and there wasn't any real great risk involved in having them, no risk of damage. And that sounds smart. And, and frugal and safe and all that. But at the end of the day, you know what you're wearing? <laughs> Tough skins. And that's no way to go through life at all. But unfortunately, this, this kind of describes far too many Christians today. We've settled for a version of Christianity that looks like the real thing, doesn't cost much, and, and doesn't really have much risk of damage. But it's nothing like the real thing. You know? It, it, and, it's, and it's easy to be critical of live stream Christians, you know, especially, you know, we're all here. So it's like, those guys, those guys are the worst, those live streamers. But this describes Sunday only Christians too. And I'm not saying this to to hurt anybody or make you feel bad. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. We do the bare minimum. And then we wonder why we aren't more fulfilled and excited with our Christian walk. There are so many Christians who are dissatisfied with church and, and with the idea of their Christian experience. But you just have to ask and wonder how deep have they really dived into it? It would be like coming upon a person that's on picture like this beautiful ocean setting and there's this kind of a platform dock area and somebody's sitting there with all their scuba equipment on. They've got the whole, the whole setup, you know, the hood, the little mouthpiece, the goggles, and, and they're just kind of sitting there with their foot in the water, just swirling it around. And you walk up and be like, hey, friend, what are you, what are you up to? It's like, I'm scuba diving, man. Check it out. I'm scuba diving. And then so I'd be like, you know, I don't think you're doing it right. I think maybe you're missing out on the best part of this, actually. Like there's a whole world that you haven't figured out yet that's there. And that's what I feel like so many Christians are doing. They're missing out on the best part. If you want to see your walk with Jesus change, dive in and experience the fullness of what God has for you. The church is meant to be a place where you know others and are known by others. And I know there's risk involved in this, but it's also a place where you love others and are loved by others, where you serve and are served, where you pray and get prayed for, where you weep and rejoice, and you know people do it with you, you do it with them. That's the real thing. This is what the world longs for, and we think we can get it through some kind of virtual experience. You cannot. We have it here. Take full advantage of that. This obviously takes some intentional investment and it takes some vulnerability, but it is absolutely worth it. It's critical, in fact, if you want your walk with God to go to that next level because he's designed it this way. Christianity is not about the individual. It's about the collective. And as soon as you figure that out, 
It changes everything. It really does. It's the difference between going to church and, and actually being the church. The moment this place becomes your church, where there's full investment in it, everything will change. And we, I love when I see this happen. You can almost see it in a moment of time sometimes in, in somebody. And I already asked if I could pick on these guys, so they're, they're, they might have already left you. If they get up and leave, we'll know. Um, but I remember when Daniel and Andrea came this summer. They, they started coming to the parking lot. I'd see them out there. They were kind of on the fringe of things, talked to them here and there a little bit. But, but it, there wasn't, you know, you know, there wasn't that full investment that you could see yet. And then one day, Daniel walked up to the microphone, just like he did today. That's risky, isn't it? And he shared his heart. He opened his heart up and he talked about his life. He said, there was a time when I was incarcerated and I got a card from a little girl who absolved me of my sins. It's like, I want to meet that little girl. Isn't that cool? She told him about Jesus. And, and he talked about the impact it made in his life and eventually brought him to, to Jesus even. And he said, that somebody did that for me and I want to do that for somebody else. And I want this church to help me with it. I mean, that's the day when it all shifted. It all changed. It's like all of a sudden this was their church. They were, they, what they were doing mattered and, and we, they mattered to us. We mattered to them. People got together on a Saturday. Now he's sharing updates. Everything changed at that moment. And, and that's what we need to do. The more we spend time in the trenches together, doing battle together and working towards a common goal, the more close-knit we become. And the, the people that I'm closest to in the Lord are the people that I do life with on a daily basis, a weekly basis. And, and you know, Sundays aren't enough for that. I love Sundays. Don't misunderstand, but there's only so much you can do staring at the back of somebody's head. As lovely as the back of some of your heads are, it's like it's just not the best part of it. Acts 2, where we get together as the church and we actually live together and, and, and do this together is, is the key. So it's no wonder that Paul was distressed by the fact that he couldn't be face-to-face with these believers, these people that he was so invested in, in and cared so much about. You know, we all see the toll that it takes when people disappear or when they, they kind of fall off. You know, they're here and then they're not, and we wonder what's going on. The discouragement and the damage that it does, not only probably in their lives, but but even in our lives when we, we wonder what happened to them. I'm terrible at this because I... I'm in my head a lot, um, if you haven't figured that out already. So I, I'll make up scenarios of, you know, what's going on and what's happening. It's always my fault. That's, you know, step one, you did something, you said something. That's why they're not here anymore. But you think about that. Are they okay? Could we have done something different? Um, you know, what's happened? Have the desires of the world, you know, I think of the parable of the sower and the seeds, you know, have the desires of the world pulled them away? Um, are they in trouble? Have they wandered off into sin? And, and, and are they, you know, just kind of in some kind of destruction right now that, that nobody knows about? Uh, have they been deceived by wrong thinking or, or false teaching or be duped, you know, duped by another gospel without anyone there to correct them? Maybe their, their faith is just shipwrecked and they're drowning in this sea of doubt and despair and there's nobody there to throw them a life preserver. I think about all these things. Where did they go? What happened? Were they even Christians at all? I don't know. But I know what Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says because we just went through this a couple of months ago. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Doing something together is better. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one there to lift him up. And that describes too many Christians. And then all of these risks that I talked about as far as not living face-to-face and being invested, they get amplified even more when you understand that we have an enemy who's actually bent on making this happen. It's his goal to make sure that we don't, stay face to face in, in chapter, um, 
or in verse 18, Paul says that Satan is a hinderer. And then in chapter five of verse three, he says that he's a tempter. I think we all know this. The word hindered is actually a military metaphor. And it was used to describe what you would do to a road. If you wanted to block communication or keep people from getting to each other, you would tear up the road or create these obstacles that would keep people from going back and forth. So you'd cut off that, that ability. That's what hindered means. And he will use any means possible to keep people from, from, from being together. He knows that it's effective. It's funny because you know, he's not that creative. He uses the same things over and over again. It's like, we should kind of be aware of it. This is what he does. He keeps us isolated. One of the smartest things he can do is just keep us away from each other. And it tells us why in First Peter 5, 8, it warns us and it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Isn't that terrifying to, hear, to read? It's like he's looking for the one that gets off by themselves, the straggler, the one that kind of wanders. That's who, that's his target audience right there. And we read that and we think, well, I don't know, probably not that big a deal. It kind of is. I don't want to be devoured. It's like when, when the, when Jesus went to Peter and said, Hey, Satan was talking to me and he said, he wants to sift you like wheat. (laughs) It's like, what, what happened? It's like, what does he want to do to me? What does that even mean? I don't know, but I don't want to find out. Satan wants to lure us away from God. And like a master fisherman, he knows what bait works. And we're pretty easy picking sometimes, if we're being honest. You know, I've seen two extremes that Christians go to when it comes to the devil. They, they either take him way too seriously or they don't take him seriously at all. And, and the Bible tells us to be sober-minded and be watchful of him. He's a real adversary. And one of the best ways that we can watch out for them is to stay herded up together. Just just it. There's safety in, in numbers. There's strength when, when we're together and we're, we're watching each other's backs. That's the idea. But at the end of the day, we just have to trust that God is completely in control. Satan is no match for God. And we know that God doesn't allow Satan to do anything without his permission. Right? We see that in the book of Job. He had to come and actually ask before he could do anything. And so I take heart that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So he's a real adversary, but he's no match for God. It still is wise for us to acknowledge that we have a few things that we need to be mindful of. The first one is this. We're prone to wander. Just like the song says, prone to wander right? So be aware of that. Number two, we like autonomy. We like the idea of stay out of my business, you know, give me some space. Don't get into my private stuff. We like that. We like those two things a lot. Number three, our enemy knows that and he'll use those to accomplish what he wants. He'll he'll use that to hinder and he'll use that to tempt. So, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of working with him sometimes when, when we, when we wander or when we become too autonomous. So what can we do? Three things I've written down, they all start with H, so maybe they'll be easy to remember. Hold, hunt, and hope. We'll go through each one of those. First one is hold, the idea of hold the line. Picture like a military thing where we've all got our arms locked, you know, and William Wallace is out there going, hold, hold, you know, stand firm. Do not permit a breakthrough. Do not permit a retreat. This is where we have a responsibility to each other to, to, you know, hold the line. Um, You know, this is something we, we need to work on. We need to, to be mindful of so people aren't wandering off. The idea is um, we won't be driving people away. We see this here in, in chapter 3 in verse 2 as to when they sent Timothy. It says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker the go- in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So he puts us in our, each other's lives to, to establish our faith and to exhort each other in our faith. So we're building up, we're constantly reminding each other of the truth, so that why? So that we will be immovable. 
I like that idea. Unable to be moved, no matter what comes our way. And, and, the, and he tells us what's coming our way, in fact. He says persecution. I, I love that he says it right now. He's like, you know, remember when we were with you, we told you that this was going to happen, and we reminded you that it would happen so that when it did happen, you wouldn't be moved. That's part of what comes our way is persecution. I know nobody likes to think that way. Sometimes I feel like we talk about it so much here that people are going, why do they talk about it so much? So that when it comes, you won't get knocked over. You know, it won't be like a wave just slamming into you and, and wiping you out. That's what we're afraid of. Because if you're not prepared for it and it happens, you're going to be pretty disillusioned. So know that hard times could come. Persecution could come. Affliction could come. Do you know what's worse than facing trials and persecution? Facing them alone, plain and simple. You know, we're all going to face them. Doing it together is going to matter. So we have a job to do in each other's lives. We need to build each other up, speak truth to each other, prepare one another for whatever comes our way, and then hold the line so that nobody gets swept away. That's the idea. The next thing we can do is hunt. Don't get too excited. Some of the guys, the NRA guys are like, yeah, finally, no. Wait a sec. This is the idea of tracking down the lost sheep. Right? We, we know how Jesus talked about this in Matthew 18 in the parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in and search uh, of the one that went away? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Uh, it's just a beautiful story of, of how precious everyone is to God in this, in this scenario. It's heartbreaking when we see somebody go missing and we don't know how they're doing or, or where they've gone. It should compel us to search for them. Paul couldn't bear not knowing how they were doing, so he had to find out. And he lived in a time when communication was not easy. Right? If you wanted to check in on somebody, you had to have a Timothy at your disposal. Right? That, that's, that was his method of finding out. We are blessed to have multiple ways to communicate. It's kind of crazy, really, when you think about it. Somebody will sometimes say, do you have so-and-so's phone number? And I'd be like, no, I don't have it, but I've got six other ways that I could put you in contact with them in you know, the next few minutes because that's how easy it is. So take full advantage of it. If you're wondering where somebody is, find out. Right? One of the saddest things I've ever heard is when somebody says they left a church and nobody seemed to notice or care or contact them or anything. And I've heard that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. I've even heard it pointed at me, unfortunately. And I doubt this is often the truth. I mean, I know, I know that there's... Um, you know, that people do care. I don't think that there's nobody that cares, but, but we don't find out. You know, somebody goes AWOL, they're, they're missing. It'd be like if you're at, you just picture you're at your dinner table and like for like seven nights in a row, one of your kids doesn't come to the table. You, you'd check, you'd find out, right? And, and it's almost like I hear people saying, you know what, I, I don't want to get, you know, privacy. I respect privacy. I don't want to get in their business. I don't want, yes, you do. We all want to know what's going on <laughs> with that person. Don't, don't tell me that. That's not it at all. You just don't want to get in an awkward conversation, you know, or be confrontational with somebody. I think that's the truth. You're afraid that when you call, they're going to be like, yeah, I'll tell you why I left the church. You guys are, you know, you're, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to know the answer. I don't know why we don't do it, but we should. And it could be simple. You know, you're just calling them and saying, you are missed. You matter. And we would welcome you back in an instant. That's really what we're talking about. That's not hard to do. That's, that's something every one of us would want to hear if we left. You know, we don't have to hound people. I used to think that was my job. I, I would picture these ideas. Okay, I'm going to go out like with a tranquilizer gun and we're going to, we're going to put them in the trunk of the car and then we're going to put them in a room until they say, yes, I'll come back to church. Can't really, that's a legal one. And it's probably, probably not the right way to go about it. You really can't force somebody to be here. 
Um, people aren't here sometimes because they don't want to be here. And I've had to learn that over the years. Um, you know, I, I get in that mindset of where like, okay, I need to be their savior right now. And I've just come to the conclusion that I make a pretty lousy savior, even though I want to do it. And, and I see this in Paul too. Paul wanted to be their savior. He wanted to go save the day. And at the end of the day, it was above his pay grade. You know who makes a really good savior? Jesus does. Yeah. Let him do that work. Pray for them, encourage them, all the things we're supposed to do, but let him do that work. But, but again, you know, in this instance, you see how Paul, like, I have to get there. I need to go, I need to go find out how these guys are doing. They need me right now. And, and you would think that when Timothy finally went, like, he would have come back and said, man, God's plans are completely messed up, dude. It's all your fault. If you would have been there, everything would have been different. But they've all abandoned the faith. They all hate you. They're fighting. The place is a mess. Is that what Timothy said when he came back? <laughs> no. He's like, dude, it's going great. They love each other. They love you. They miss you. They're, they're growing in their faith. They're committed to Jesus. It's like, oh, do you mean to tell me that God's got all this under control and he didn't need me? Wow. Who knew? But it's still hard to trust God, isn't it? Even for Paul. That's one of the downsides, by the way, of the pastors rotating between the locations is we don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm here three times a month. I'm only there once a month. And the opposite is true for those guys. So on any given Sunday, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who's here and who's not. So every Sunday we actually get together after church and have a debrief where we talk about this stuff. What's going on? Who was there? Who was missing? What were the prayer requests? We want to know all this stuff. Um, but the, the truth is we can't keep track of everyone on our own. We need every one of you to help us with this. And a lot of times it actually means more to somebody when you call as opposed to the, you know, the, the guys that are supposed that have to call, you know what I mean? So please help with that hunt, right? Hunt down the sheep that are lost, find out where they're at, find out what's going on and let them know that they're missed and that we want them back. And then the last thing uh, we could do in this regard is to hope. Um, I heard, you know, our brother Paul talk about this today when he come up, came up and talked about this letter he sent and this, this guy that responded this right now, I have hope. I have hope that something that the Lord will do something. Sometimes that's all we can do is just hope. You know, Paul was sitting there wondering if, if the faith of these Christians was real, um, if they were enduring things properly and it was driving him crazy. And I think we can all relate to that. There's, there's so many people right now I can think of that I'm concerned about that. I wonder how they're doing. And sometimes all I can do is just like Paul, hope and pray. And after we have done all we can, we just have to turn it over to the Lord and, and hope that on the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns and we look around, that those people that we love and are concerned about will be standing there with us. That's what Paul expresses in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2 when he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and hope. He's holding out hope that somehow they will all be there on that day. And I, and I do the same thing. I hold out hope that those that I'm unsure of will be there. You know, when our, when our kids were little, we had to come up with a plan for everyone to follow in case the house caught on fire or there was some kind of an emergency. So we sat them all down and we laid out the plan for them so that everyone knew uh, what to do. And, and, and we would go over from time to time just to make sure that it was always, you know, always there for them to remember so they wouldn't forget. And the idea was that we would all know uh, what we were supposed to do and where we were supposed to go. So we had a little pump house out in the front of the house, you know, quite a ways from the house. That That's where everybody goes. Something goes down, we all meet there. And, I, you know, I just imagine that, that idea of getting there and one of them's not there. It would be the most terrifying thing I can think of. But the idea is that we would all get there and you would see everybody face to face and you would know, okay, we're, we're, all, we're all accounted for. And that's really what Paul's describing here. It's... Uh, that, that hope that we will meet face-to-face -face again. 
Why did we do this for our kids? Because we cared about them. We loved them. And we couldn't imagine um, something bad happening to them. And, and this is how we need to be. We need to be the same way with everybody we care about. Make sure that they know the plan, right? Now, go over it. Go over it. Go over it with them so that they know the plan. Make sure that they know the meeting place. It's Jesus, right? Make sure that we tell them how to get there by believing the gospel, by trusting in what he's done on the cross for their salvation. That's the plan. That's the meeting place, and that's how we get there. And then we hope and pray that in the end, they are there. That's the human responsibility side of things. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we must use it to pray, to encourage, to exhort, and to tell others about the Lord. But we also have God's sovereignty to trust in. And this is the one that gives me the most hope because I can do what I can do. But again, I've got short arms. He does not. So just as Jesus said in in John 6, he talks about that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And guess how many I'm going to lose? None. I love this. You know, if Jesus would have just lost one, he would have failed to please the Father, failed to accomplish his will. He doesn't do that. So I take great comfort in this, that there's a promise. If if I started a good work in somebody, I'll complete it. And so I, I hold out on that hope sometimes where it's like, okay, I've seen evidence. I've seen something there. And so I'm counting on your promises, Lord. I'm counting on you to finish this work because I can't. You know, maybe we are the ones today that get to check in with somebody that's been missing. Maybe we're the ones that get to do that. We might have that privilege. If God's putting that on your heart, if he's nudging you, do it. Sometimes we don't get those opportunities, you know, but God has a huge network of people. So pray for a Timothy to come along and and go in your place. You know, sometimes we can't be the ones So pray for somebody else to go. But hope and pray that we will all see each other at that meeting place. When the day comes, the day of the Lord is coming. There's going to come a point where he returns and we will be there. And I want to see all of you there with me. I want to see all my loved ones there with me. I will not be able to do anything about it then, but I can today. Amen. Father, thank you so much for for this passage in the heart. We get to see a pastor Paul in this section um, who just is in angst over what he can't accomplish at this time. And yet we see all that you can accomplish. And Lord, that's ultimately where we place our hope in who you are and what you're able to do. Thank you for giving us Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us a way to escape the danger that, that, that is real and that exists by placing our trust in him for our salvation. And Lord, I just pray if there's anybody here that knows that they need to contact somebody today to reach out, that they would do it, that they would be faithful in that. And Lord, I pray that we would be more committed to being face-to-face and locking arms with each other in this church, that you would just build us into this um, immovable place, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.